So I'm looking at the list of the Oscar nominees, and the chick from Loving, her name is Ruth Nega. Yep. <laughs> Why? No! I know. No! Honey, they're going to have a lot of fun with that. No! Come on! Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris, I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friend, Trisha in LA. Hello! Hi, sweetheart, how are you? I'm good, I'm in my PJ. Well, and it's 1pm, so congratulations. <laughs> oh my god, you I are, love you it! You are doing the least, the absolute least. <laughs> I really am. It's a three-day weekend, so it's even better, you know. Like yeah, it's, 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 I, you know what? On a Sunday, when you know you don't have to go into work on a Monday, it's like decadence. No, decadence. but you know what? I still <sighs> can't reconcile like the fact that I'm not going to work tomorrow. Like even in recording this podcast, like obviously this podcast gets released on Monday. Hello, everybody, and I'm like, okay, we got to record this, and then it has to go up. I'm, I guess I'll do it from work. And I'm like, I'm not working tomorrow. I, it hasn't sunk in yet. It What's hasn't, the reconcile? It's I'm like fun. 6am tomorrow and be like, okay. <laughs> I don't know. But you know what? That's also kind of cool too. Why don't you just let your alarm go off and then you like lay back and go, wait a minute. That's no, a, no, that's, that's even good. worse. Cause then I'm up at 6am <laughs> on a day when I don't have to be up. Maybe if I was doing something at night tonight, then maybe I'd be like, I just yeah, haven't you know set what? my head. Yeah, my, I have a Sunday crazy. schedule today. I have a Sunday schedule. Um, so I, I'm going to be home by 10 p.m. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's the weakness of the system. Oh, my we God. Have to, we have to go out on a night before we're not due to go to work. And then it'll feel like, oh, this is exactly right. This is exactly then why out, we have three-day weekends. You'll be out in the club on a Sunday. Be like, yeah, I'm not going to work tomorrow. It would really sink in. <laughs> okay. I know we're talking about movies later, but I've had, like, movies on the brain. Oh, why? I, I know. Well, one, and we're, we're going to talk about the Oscars, but one, uh, I saw I Am Not Your Negro. Oh, good. Uh, it was phenomenal. Everybody, please go see it. That's my low-key media recommendation. Two, I have just <laughs> the schadenfreude of Matt Damon's Great Wall <laughs> completely bombing at the, the box office. Oh, oh, I've oh just been God. drizzling it all over my body like <laughs> hot caramel. I love it. Love do, you it. Think, do you think one of the upsides of this period in time is that we lose Matt Damon and Ben Affleck? Could we? Um, I think Could Ben we? Affleck is trying to jump clear. Well, well maybe Matt. I, I'm okay. I, I'm okay. I think we'll lose Matt. Matt. Well, after after that dust up on his show when he confronted that black producer <laughs> and told her that diversity doesn't matter behind the camera and pretty much told her to shut up. And apparently um, in front either. Pretty much. <sighs> Although, curiously, I just looked this up. Much like the Japanese, the way they look at anime and the Scarlett Johansson yep. Ghost in the Shell thing, the Chinese mm-hmm. don't really seem that up in arms about well, no, because it's an American movie, right? It's an American well, movie about China, right? It's not an American movie. It's it's Chinese director. <laughs> it's a Chinese director and it's a Chinese studio. The idea, China is China, obviously. And they have rules about how many movies can come out there and how many American movies can come out there and how much of the box office they can claim, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think is fascinating. 
but you can get around that by working with Chinese directors and actors and production companies. So one producer said like the reason why American born Asians are so upset about it is because the the minority status, but in China, everyone's Chinese. So the fact of one white guy in a movie isn't going (laughs) to, doesn't set them going. Anyway, I'm I'm constantly interested by those, how the idea of race and whitewashing doesn't translate. Like, yes, Matt Damon's in the movie, but even their trailers and stuff focus on all the other people, all the other Chinese people in the movie. Because apparently the other people are like stars. Like there's like a Chinese boy bander in there and somebody else. Anyway, nevertheless, I'm just glad it's failing here because can we stop whitewashing Asians, please? Like, Well, you know, that's interesting because maybe in their mind, it's like when I watched, um, I've watched old um, Chinese movies and there's always that one random white guy in it. So maybe that's what they thought this was too. (laughs) (laughs) And so (laughs) we're crazy to be all up in arms, but they understand, hey, there's just that one white guy over on the side. Yeah, because it's like (laughs) a movie full of Asian people and there's a white guy in it. Okay, that's because that looks like their real life. But to us, we're like, it's a movie full of Asian people. It should be full of Asian people. (laughs) Well, you know what? It can make all its money in China. Well, well, that's what they're hoping. It's being marketed. Yeah. But you know, whatever. I'm just, I just, I'm still not over how the way he shut down that woman. I'm still not over the fact that he just thinks he's the hottest thing since sliced bread. Can't. Which he isn't. Because you know, he's only really been successful in one thing. And that's what movie? movie? The Born Supreme, the Born Trilogy, trilogy or Quadrilogy, okay. you know, whatever those What's four things okay. are. But it had nothing can to I do be, with him. We, I was going to say, can we real talk for a second? <laughs> can, is that okay? Just you and me? No one else listening. Let's be honest, sure. Trisha. He was not the best. The Born Supremacy, all those movies, those things go on autopilot. You just need a handsome, fit guy. It could be any guy. It could be me. You know what well, I mean? Like, Well, the thing on. about it. Matt no. Damon does not get credit for that movie. Oh, for sure. I mean, because you know the star of that movie are the action sequences. Is action? Yeah, I was going to say, is stunt. action I mean, like the star Personified of the action is the star of them. <laughs> so, I mean, it could be done literally by anyone, which is why John Absolutely Cho... Absolutely anybody. Which is why John Cho could have done it. Um, exactly. And I don't mean that as an insult. I meant that you could have actually inserted John Cho in a movie, give him that paycheck, <laughs> and also, secured him something great. Is it still... And maybe it's just because I'm getting older and the way that I consume movies is so different than it was a decade ago. But are people like they they they're walking past the movie theater and like oh, I want to see a movie and they look up the post and they go oh Matt Damon this is going to be a good movie let me just buy my ticket and sit down and watch it because I have to admit really? I think is that the way it still I, works you know what I don't do that but I have to admit that I think some of my family members do that because I know what I know when I was having Thanksgiving it was like let's go see that born movie um let's watch that born movie so. I don't know if it's necessarily that's different, Matt Damon. Though. I don't that's know if that was that's, about to say. I don't know if it's like Matt. the boring thing. Yeah, like I don't know if it's necessarily him or just a combination of. I mean, it's like you know what you're expecting. You know what I mean? It's like I'm going to McDonald's. I know exactly what I'm going to get, and no, so there you're is. Talking, some you're talking that. about brands. It's one thing to be like, "Hey, everybody, it's Christmas morning. Let's all go see the Star Trek movie." Right? Yeah, because that's a brand. But I'm saying, is anyone being like, "Oh, Benedict Cumberbatch is in a new movie"? I don't give a shit what it's about. Yeah, the fact that he's in you know is what? the draw. You know really? what? You, you used the wrong example. He does, ha- but you know what? It it just depends, right? Because he has a strong following online, and so you have to pick the right person. I don't necessarily think Matt Damon is that person, but I happen to believe Who that Benedict. Benedict Cumberbatch is such a person. There are people who specifically go to see his movies. They like think, him. 
Do you think like Doctor Strange pulled like that whole cumber bitch? I think it might have <laughs> been. I think I think that's the, that's that's probably the only one that saw it because I know that movie didn't make a lot of money. So you know, and, and I, I mean, saw it. and you think you have to you have to do the he has to also be in the right setting. You have to put Benedict Cumberbatch in also the right space for him to do his Benedict Cumberbatch thing that he does, which is you know the 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 beautiful eyes fluttering the lips red the whole thing you know you know we know it we know that's why they call I themselves like, cumberbitch there's uh, some people who like, do still have that charm it's like tom hanks i think right people yeah, just tom, roll up yeah. to see a tom hanks or a meryl street movie regardless of what it is for sure i think not you know what there there used to be i mean let's be honest there used to be bona fide box office stars that you can count on for that they're tom very yeah, they're very few and far between anymore. Um, and that's just the that's just the the landscape of kind of like eco- the economy for movie making. But it still had an appeal. I mean, I think Denzel draws that now. Um, still does. I think that's a lot of re- the, I think a lot of people went to see Fences because of Denzel and um, Viola t- together. The idea of seeing those two blockbuster stars on screen. I just don't think you have that many anymore. I mean, I think most of the people who are making movies. Frankly, they used they would be B stars when we were growing up. Hmm. You know what I mean? I think like um, what is it? Who's the new guy that everybody loves? Tom Hardy. I mean, let's be honest. Tom Hardy would be like a B grade star. Does everybody, he'd be like a D. Does everybody? <laughs> I know, but you know what I mean. But but we don't have bona fide movie stars in the same way as we did in the past. You know, I mean, uh, look at back in the day, you used to ha- you used to be able to, like this is a Tom Cruise movie, this is a Brad Pitt movie, this is a um. No, uh, I feel Julia like a Roberts movie. We but have we just no, have we have those. like a, a we have like a whole Ryan Gosling moment. No, but not we nobody's have, nobody's we, specifically going out for Ryan Gosling movies. I mean, they like him, but it's like his movies aren't huge hits, you know. I mean, you can't, um, they're not. I mean, you, the, the the reason why those people were well, major stars you know, were the guaranteed box office. It's, now it's you've challenged me. There yeah. must be some actors in their thirties right now who people. Who are like I mean, straws. Like, there's no more Will Smith movies or any of that. The, the 90s are done. Jennifer. I mean, there's Jennifer, Jennifer but Jennifer, who? Jennifer, the one that everyone loves. What's her last name? The one that's in the um, that was in. Now, so the problem with her is she happened to be in movies that were also based on books. What's her name? The one. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. um, oh, yeah. shit. This is bad. This is bad for radio. Um. <laughs> You'll have to edit around Jennifer it. Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer yes. Lawrence. Yes, Jennifer L. Jennifer Lawrence is that type. You know, I think she was a little bit of that old, um, you know, try to let's see her as a guaranteed box office star person. But um, they're just less and less of those people. They really are. I mean, people if, just think honestly about that. I mean, the fact that you actually can't guarantee of Will Smith says quite a lot. And you definitely don't have any black stars that have that same cachet as like Will and Denzel did. I mean, in, in fact, they're the, still the only ones that somehow still managed to wrangle a little bit. And yeah. Will Smith hasn't really opened a movie in years because he keeps going against his brand. Yeah, he doesn't know what's... I, I feel like he's he's trying to transition, but we're not ready. Well, you know, he's just trying to do the thing that actors try to do, which is they try to um, they try to break out of the mold that they are stuck in and they want to create and they want to do something different. But the movie audience is like, dude, we like you as funny guy. Yeah. Where's Independence <laughs> Day? We need three. to see that like four, three, four, five. Okay. <laughs> which is what happened with which is what happened with Matt Damon. Let's come full circle. Matt Damon delivered on in the Bourne movies by just mm-hmm. kept doing them. 
He just kept yeah. doing them. And people were like, oh, wow, he's really good. But no, he just kept doing no, the same form. Give you exactly what you were expecting. You liked it before you walked in, so he already won. Exactly. Right. He didn't he didn't have to do anything. You were you just were satisfied before the movie started. So just, just don't trip and fall. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. I mean yeah, the I, only the only guaranteed box office star, let me just say I think the only guarantee is um is a comic. That's it. It's the brand. So it's are you a Marvel? Are you a D- those are those I was are just gonna our... say I think it's it's brands now are guaranteed. Although <laughs> I mean the Star Wars movie made a lot of money. The brands? Star Trek film came out. And I didn't really hear anything about it, so I don't know. And I like Star Trek. I'll, I'm going to watch that. Yeah, it's the brands. I mean, Doctor Strange, I don't know. You know what? I don't know how to evaluate how Marvel movies do. Because when they make like $200 million, they're like, it was a failure. And I'm like, uh, I don't well, know. Well, for, that, for that marketplace, it is. I mean, for them. You know, for something like, say, Hidden Figures, which apparently has now like on on par on track to make like over 100 and maybe 20. It was at mm-hmm. 111. For the... It was made for a very modest amount of money. So that is a tremendous success. Yeah. Because of how, but if you think about a Marvel movie, on, I mean, I would assume that movie is probably, ha, probably had a budget of 50 million. <laughs> Damn. So when you have a movie of 50 million budget, 100 million, 200 million, it's really not that much. That's only three times. Now, something like, say, um, when I saw the number for Hidden Figures, which I think was like, I think it was made for 10 mil. Mm-hmm. Making a hundred and eleven million dollars, that's a, that's yeah, a sizable that's, profit. That that's real. <laughs> you know? That has more legs. I'll, I'll tell you something. I don't go to the movies often, right? The last movie I saw, I am not your Negro, before that was Hidden Figures. I mean, I don't think I, the movie before that was Doctor Strange, and the movie before that might have been Captain America. So you know what I mean? Yeah, there was like I a know. big movies are freaking expensive. And I don't, I do not want to be like this, like old curmudgeon sort of person. But seriously, two <laughs> tickets. Really like you mean the, the movie dollars? <laughs> yeah, that's really <laughs> yeah. Two tickets for thirty seven dollars, and I, I was like, not even three D, not even three D. And I was like, what is for thirty seven dollars? You know what I can get for thirty seven dollars? God. Oh well, let I don't me know how I, to justify I, that. I'll make an adjustment. So I just did a quick look. And so Hidden Figures, the budget was 25 mil. And it mm-hmm. has made 140 million. So that's still wow. still decent, sadly. Where's all, that, where's all that money go? Oh, my God, Chris, I have to share this with you. Okay. Doctor Strange's budget? Yes. $165 million. Where the fuck did they spend that money? And then it made... Uh, 673 so that's that's still modest a hundred and sixty five million like dollars it made three times that's all but that's not a lot think oh, about is that, that all is that all but i mean if you if but look at it if they had if they had come in at 20 million then they'd be loving the 640 million. <laughs> they made three times i just don't understand if i give you a hundred dollars then you give me 350 dollars i've won honey do you I think don't... hollywood thinks that way I don't I, has I, very strange it's, ideas. It's it's <laughs> That's literally probably modest. That's probably it's modest. Literally math, Trisha. It's literally <laughs> math. I know. I just don't know. Like some numbers are bigger than others. <laughs> I anyway. know. I would love. Let's let's try and find someone in the industry who can come on and talk to us about that. I'd love Actually, that. Actually, I bet you Jessica could explain it all. Yeah, call your friend Jessica. I, I would love to hear more about this. Let's, let's <laughs> all get. Let's all whatever. Okay. 
So uh, let's just keep talking about movies. Last year, there was so much consternation about hashtag Oscars so white. There were no people of color nominated in, in any major category. There was a big backlash. I mean, we talked about it on the podcast for sure. Uh, everyone boycotted the Oscars, blah, blah, blah. Flash forward to this year when uh, there are people of color nominated in every major, major acting category, both Moonlight and Fences and Hidden Figures yeah. are up for Best Picture. And everyone is applauding and everyone is very excited. I, on the other hand. Oh, no. Uh, you, listen, you know I have opinions. I'm sorry. I thought the idea last year was that we don't care. I thought the idea mm-hmm. was that, Mm-mm. that wait, let me finish. I thought the idea was that, you know what, if you want to have a party without us, have <laughs> at it. It doesn't, dim our, it doesn't dim our light at all. All these nominations and the people who are nominated were fantastic. Everyone in their roles was fantastic. I'm not taking anything away from their talent, but is this the seat at the table? Are we still begging for scraps? Are we still dying to be invited to a party that we're not wanted at anyway? Why do we keep showing up, Trisha? Can't we just be done with the Oscars? Can't we make our own Oscars? Can't we just claim the Golden Globes? Why do we do this every year? Well, I mean, listen, on a personal level, obviously the Oscars doesn't matter. I'm not going to watch. Who the fuck cares, really? Yeah. Yeah. However, however, it is an industry award. I listened to the woman who started the Oscar So White hashtag because there were some people, there were some African-Americans who pushed back on it and was talking about how, you know, we're begging and we've got to get out there and get our, um, you know, very bootstrappy, got to get ourselves our own thing going. And I started thinking about it more seriously. And I said, listen, it's a room we need to be in because this is a space where people negotiate deals, getting nominated for an Oscar. It has nothing to do. Like I said before, avoid the whole thinking about whether it's about you being good at your job or any of that stuff. That's not what it's about. It really It's a giant is. networking event. That's what you're exactly. saying. Exactly. It is. It is. And so we can make that same claim about companies that won't hire us or golf clubs, which, you know, on some level, I don't give a shit about a golf club, but if we want to be full participating citizens, we can't turn away from any viable industry. I mean, I think that at the end of the not day, the that's industry. really what But the party is a part of it. It is. If you're not in the room, if you're not getting nominated, if you're not able to, um, if you're not able to be a member of the academy, you're not able to have any real impact on, on things moving forward. Listen, you could do some of the things that Ava advocates, and I, I'm all about it. Ava DuVernay, I really respect the way she says, "Listen, go out there and get your work done. Do what you need to do." That's important, obviously, but to be recognized so that you can be in the room, so that you might be able to sit down and have a deal happen. You need, if you're going to talk, you need to sit at the table with Brad Pitt to convince him to produce your movie. You know I mean, those, I think that's sort of, that's where I sort of rest on it. It's like, you can't, you can't just dismiss the Oscars as a silly event because it's more than that. It is an industry event and it is important for black talent or people of color to be recognized it's it's just important for us to be in the room because they're movers and shakers in that room mm-hmm. and there's also a lot of like i mean I, I hate to say it too like externally the oscars has some merit like if you're not seen in this space then you're lost as well what is the game for the oscars though 
because I've already heard this being put around like, well, if so-and-so doesn't win, if this person of color doesn't win, then we just know it's business as usual. So it's hard though, because you know what? You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's a hard game for the Oscars to play because it's like, okay, if Denzel Washington doesn't win, the criticism is going to be, well, of course he didn't win because of course they were going to hand it to some white actor. But you know, Listen, the most important thing around it. if Nicole with if Nicole Kidman beats out those three black women in actress in a supporting role, you know, I mean, I'm sure Nicole Kidman at this point hopes she doesn't win. Well, cuz it's embarrassing cuz first of all, she shouldn't have been nominated. I saw her. I saw that movie. I, I mean, this is the thing. This is the thing. The funny thing about this is I don't even know why Nicole Kidman was nominated. It is so weird. I mean, like, and I bet you she was shocked as well. It's such a throwaway performance. I guarantee you when you see it, you're going to be like, what? Why? I won't be saying But I mean, well, actually, yeah. it's lying, right? I might see it. It's because, lying. You, you know, might. You yeah. Might. Your, public I mean, rec- your recommendation was to look at Deb Patel and I'm always down to do that. So, Well, listen, at this point in time, it's not about winning. Because remember, winning is a political thing. Mm-hmm. I think the nomination is very important because what it suggests is that you're taking consideration of the entire landscape of work that's out there. There mm-hmm. were good performances a year ago when it was Oscar so white, but to overlook the good performances and just keep nominating the same 10 people was ridiculous. I can't make a stake for whether someone should be, should win or not, because at that point in time, listen, I mean, I put my hands up at that. But nominating suggests a different process than winning. Nominating suggests that you have you have scoped out the landscape and you have recognized that there have been there's good work and that you've tagged those people in. That's as much as I expect from them. And then guess what? They get to be in the room, they get to be presenters, they get to meet the, the players that they need to meet, and that's valuable. That's that's a get. Now, whether you're gonna give Nicole Kidman an award over the other actresses in that category. I can't, I mean, that one, I can't negotiate that one. That's, that comes down to what? Liking what your kids vote for. I mean, these Academy Award members, sometimes they don't even watch the shit. They just give it to yeah. their kids and say vote, you know, but at least because, <laughs> because the, but, but supposedly the nomination process is different. So the nomination process, there's some, there's some level of control there, right? Mm-hmm. But the who's to who's to say about winning listen we can all stare dead in the face and recognize why someone's winning or not winning i mean we all know la la land is probably going to get best picture and i mean come on is it the best thing that's ever been written in the world probably not uh, oh, um. <laughs> you know what i mean i mean i'm gonna hold i'm gonna reserve my opinion on it because i still have to watch it but i've seen so many people whose opinions i respect call it complete drivel emotional drivel yeah but can I fault Hollywood for its sentimentality? I mean, it is what they do. I mean, that movie is a movie about the people in the room. Yeah. So, so and they love this is themselves. Why they, this is why they love it. And they love themselves so much that they throw this gigantic party every year. <laughs> I need <laughs> to talk about how much they love themselves. But, it, but you know what? It is institutional marketing, you know? And this is partly why the Oscars has value and merit because it's seen by thousands and thousands, millions of people all over the world. Mm-hmm. And if you're not in the room, you're not being seen. You're not being recognized. And I get it. No, that, I, 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 hear what you're, I hear what you're saying now. So it, it's just, it's the same thing as just, just like being in the room, just in the fabulous, just like in the fabulous hidden figures, which I saw last night. Ah! <laughs> you got to be there. Just right? the fact that she pushed her way into that engineering classroom and she's like, 
here I am. What are you going to do? Here I am. And it's important for everybody in the room. I, I totally get that. I just think the Oscars are such a sham. This politicking that goes along as far as like everyone's going to be on the edge of their seat waiting for the black person to win. And if the black person or the person of color, because Deb Patel is also nominated, if the person of color doesn't win, then it's going to be a confirmation of something. If they do win, then it's a confirmation of something else. And I just, I'm tired of hanging those ideas to these outcomes. Yeah, I I don't like that either. I think there's no winning there. I think you're completely right about that because that was happening with the Golden Globes. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, Moonlight. Well, Golden Globes night, I everyone on Facebook, so many friends. Moonlight better win, and I was like, exactly. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? (laughs) So now that it's won, so now what does that mean? What does that mean? That racism in this space is over. That now suddenly we're included. I was like, these do not hang that on this outcome. This is just some people who voted for something. Right, it's for a silly award, which has merit, um, as you say, but like, it's so hard though, Chris. I mean, this is the challenge of something like that. It's like, obviously, it doesn't mean that Moonlight was not the best thing if it doesn't win, right? But I, this is why I'm always really conflicted about it because, on one hand, I'm dashing this whole thing. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. And then, <laughs> it, then it wins, and I'm like, oh my god, that's so great. And it's, <laughs> I'm more excited for the people getting on stage. But but I will say though, it was really curious. It was really curious about. Um, I saw an analysis of the Golden Globes and how essentially Moonlight didn't win for any of the people of color. No person mm-hmm. of color won for Moonlight. But when it won Best Picture, it goes to producers who were white. Yeah, who are who was Brad Pitt. Uh, you know, so it's almost like they're being rewarded for telling our story. We're not actually being rewarded in the telling of our own story. The writer wasn't rewarded. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do you even, you know, make those kinds of distinctions? But I yeah, I it's a fucking dicey thing. I hate to say it. I get it. It's it's bad. It's bad. But which is why I'm fine with the nomination because I feel like that's as that's as much control as I want to give over to any external body to decide what's valuable or what's not valuable. That's as much as I want that to happen. All right. Well, uh, I want to talk about something else that's happening at the Oscars is Casey Affleck was nominated for his oh. role in Manchester by the Sea. Mm-hmm. And Constance, the the fabulous Constance, Constance Wu, fresh off the boat, uh, is she's an American actress of Asian descent, right? Mm-hmm. She's she's American, um, and she has completely taken to Twitter, taken Casey Affleck to task for his nomination after there has been these suits against him for sexual harassment. And when Birth of a Nation was cruising its way towards oh. Oscar gold before anybody saw it, when it was cruising, <laughs> <laughs> when it was really gaining steam. Um, and what's his name? Turner. Mm-hmm. Turner was complete. No, no, nat- no, 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 no. It was about, it was, it was about, about Nat Turner. That was, that was about <laughs> Nat Turner. I was like, wait a minute. This doesn't sound right. <laughs> well, it doesn't sound right. Nate Parker, Nate Parker, yeah. Nat Turner. When Nate Parker was out there in all the press junkets, he was eviscerated over what happened when he was back in college and he was, him and his friend were accused of rape. Now, I want to point out the distinctions between what happened with Affleck and what happened with Parker. Parker's complaint was a criminal complaint. He was, he was accused of rape 
His friend uh, did not get off, but Parker was acquitted. Yep. Affleck's problems are civil. He was sued in civil court for damages for creating a unsafe work environment for a cinematographer and later a producer while he was whatever, while he was filming that like Joaquin Phoenix masturbatory docudrama mess a couple of years ago. So while the, while the the difference there it, that is a real difference they are not equally situated but I can't avoid commenting on the fact that here we have Casey Affleck who was accused of among other things groping someone in bed um while she slept while she slept just lewd jokes locking himself in the cinematographer's room and having sex with other women. I wasn't clear if she was in the room or not. I'm assuming not. How is it that, but how is it that we can continue to laud Casey Affleck, but Parker's career was pretty much ruined? One of the things I think is most egregious about the Casey Affleck piece is that it's actually an, it it has an impact on the actual business. So while Nate Parker's happened while he was in college and it was still egregious and horrendous and he did not take a good stance on it at all, which I think he could have and actually avoided a bit of the media minefield that he ended up in, that was happening in a college campus. The Casey thing mm-hmm. is actually happening in a workspace. Yep, It's a workspace in the industry. So that to me is somehow even more egregious that he's going to be awarded for it because it's the, this person created a hostile work environment for his colleagues and the industry that is supposed to recognize and um, value good work within that industry has decided that that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. That to me is really telling. That's, but, an, that's an important distinction. Do you see what I mean? That's a yeah. very valuable distinction, regardless of whether even the civil or the criminal. This because Casey Affleck's nomination just underscores the point. Like, well, yes, we understand that men in our industry in this power can do this thing. And at the end of the day, they can still be rewarded for it. So all you female producers, actress, actors, yeah. uh, cinematographers, editors, all of you out there just know that at any moment your boss can fondle you. But nah, we'll still give him an award. Yeah, because this is a workplace award. Yeah. And so for me, that, I mean, obviously it's racism. Now everybody's going to be like, oh, but it is. It's racist because mm-hmm. you don't get many chances to have a chance as a person of color. And Nate Parker is done. Mm-hmm. But Casey Affleck will have many, many, many chances. And he's a part of that ilk. He's a part of the Woody Allen ilk. He's a part of all of these places where these men can be egregious and get many, many shots. And even Constance Wu, and it's funny because she says, I was told not to say this. I was told that I was putting my career, career. in jeopardy. That she was like, by, fuck my career. I love by speaking. Wu. I mean, but what was great about her, I mean, I think she underscored the value of the nomination because a lot of people are like, well, you know, he did good work. Listen, you can, she's not saying that he shouldn't have gotten the job. And she's not even saying that he shouldn't um, continue to get paid or do whatever he wants to do. But she's actually asking the question, which I think is a really valid question, which is, this is an industry honor. You get to decide whether you're going to anoint his behavior or not. It doesn't mm-hmm. stop the movie from making money. It, and actually, I mean, because those are the things that was prevented from happening with Nate Parker. You mm-hmm. know, so it's like you, you know, so 
that's, I think, a really key distinction for me because we've come up with this issue often a lot. People are like, well, you know, artists are artists. Let the artist be. I think it's important for her to have said, yeah, they, they're allowed to create their art. I'm not going to judge that, but I'm going to judge you as an industry for rewarding him with honor on top of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's useful. So, I mean, I, 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 the other reason why he's going to get away with it is that he's got powerful friends. He's related to Ben Affleck. And by extension, he has Matt Damon in his pocket. And what you can do is this is a business. This is a business where it's all about relationships. So if you attack Casey Affleck, does that mean that you're not going to be able to interview Ben Affleck for this thing that you want him for next week? I mean, you're not, Matt Damon's not going to produce your film. I (laughs) have to point out, I have to point out the synchronicity between the fact that the president of the country um, has sexually abused women and sexually harassed women and is president. And now here we are, we see more of the same. I just, I just want to point that out. There's no, there's nothing up for discussion. Those are true facts. Or the hypocrisy though, or the hypocrisy of Hollywood, because you can't cast aspersions on Trump a la uh, Meryl Streep and then get up there and reward Casey Affleck a few weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Because what what are you telling me? Like you're supposed to be telling me that this is the bastion of diversity and all the things that is anti-Trump, but in reality, you're about to reward him for the very same thing. Mm-hmm. That well, you, after not rewarding him for it, but rewarding him after it's come to light that this, yeah, is- but which is exactly the same thing that happened with the Trump administ- the Trump mm-hmm. presidency. He was mm-hmm. rewarded after it came to light. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I mean, I think Hollywood also has to look at its own at itself when it makes these claims about who who it is and isn't. They yeah. may, they need to they need to ask themselves tough questions as well. Nobody says you, you nobody says you can you you can deny these people work. But you don't have to honor their work. No, you certainly don't. Uh, will you be watching the Oscars? No, I'm actually not. Me I mean, neither. I mean, I, I listen. The the shine fell off the Oscars many many years ago, and it's never come back. And so, um, so I mean, I'll look to see who won because I, for me, I do understand the value of the win. Mm-hmm. You know, that means extra dollars, um, possible extra promotion, extra p- money in people's pockets, possibly. And it does dictate which movies you're going to be seeing six years from now. Exactly. So mm-hmm. there's value to that, but I'm not participating in the party. I'm not participating in the deification of it. Not anymore. No. I mean, no, that's okay. I'm going to give my eyes to something else. <laughs> and I've already done as best as I can for all the nominees. I've gone to see them. I've paid the money. I've told people to go see it. Great. So we've been talking about movies for like nonstop this entire time. So let's talk uh, about what we're all burning to talk about constantly, which is President Trump. <laughs> let's God. get. I know. I know. You know what's funny? Like, before we get into this, I just want to say, like, Trump trauma is a real thing. It's a real it thing. Like, real. I'm, I'm traumatized by the stuff every time you open Facebook or Twitter or walk down the street or look at a newspaper, it's like information that is just like traumatic. Like all the stuff that's going on, it's just really, really bad. But anyway, well, you, you want to add thoughts. You want to uh, talk about it. So let's, let's talk about it. So um, for the past week, I've seen a couple articles float across my um, timeline about the need for us to show compassion for Trump voters. <laughs> and I've been trying to think, <laughs> you know, they were, they oh, were there, boy. they were there right after the election. 
there was a there was a lot about you know we need to show compassion for these folks because a, a certain portrait of the Trump um, voter was um, emerging. At that time, the portrait of the Trump voter included um, this picture of this kind of world weary working class man who could not afford to take care of his family and um, was living in some sort of dying town and, um, <laughs> you know, and felt like he had been oh left behind. You know, that was the picture. That was the picture that was okay. painted, right? And so mm-hmm. that picture suggested that we needed to have compassion for this person um, whom the, the world had left behind. That's the portrait. Now, one thing I will say is um, that that was actually not the Trump voter. Overwhelmingly wasn't. Overwhelmingly, mm-hmm. working class white people did vote for Hillary. But for some yeah. reason, that seemed to be the picture they wanted to sell of who the Trump voter was. Yeah, it's because it's romantic. Yeah, it's a very romantic picture. But then over time, this other picture has emerged of the Trump voter, which is the young Trump voter. The young, clueless male mm-hmm. who is feeling um, beaten up beaten up by these liberals who and in fact are sort of mean and and now this um this other narrative is emerging where you know you need to be nicer to the trump voter or else they will punish you a second time around at the polls you'll have at the polls and you'll have trump for eight years and so you know i've really been avoiding reading all the articles but i picked up one and i thought this was a good one because um I don't know much about internet culture, but we've been having this conversation, this ongoing dialogue, I think, between us online and offline about sort of the role of the internet mm-hmm. in in this. And I thought this piece was probably a good piece to, to sort of have as a um, an exploration. And so I picked up this piece on Medium and it was um, it was all about this thing called 4chan, which I'm sure you know more than I do. And not much more. The skeleton key to the rise of Trump. And essentially the, the, the larger point that the, the whole piece is making is that Trump, Trump's voters, young voters, they are losers. And they think that he <laughs> is the key. Well, you know, dismiss okay, it. You know? They are uh-huh. losers. They are losers. And they believe he's the king of the losers. And all of all of the things that we rage about and I say we in the sense of liberals or people who just are amazed that we are stuck with this president are Uh the very things that they enjoy about him. So as we continue to rage, they find it even more compelling. So they're children. So underlying, well, you know, what's interesting, and this is the contention, and this is what I wanted to talk to you about. The underlying contention is that these people have sort of given up and that they, they really believe that nothing works. And they've sort of retreated from the world and retreated into their video game culture. But beyond that, retreated fully. And that Trump is kind of a fuck you to mm-hmm. the people who are still participating, who still believe there is something to participate in, in reality. Mm-hmm. So for me, that just seems like a fairly nihilistic position i mean it's it's very much the philosophy of let the world burn or like you know stop this whole thing i want to get off and so this rides over for everybody I, I, but there's there's no there's but see so then my content my question to you is how do you how are we supposed to love show love and compassion for these folks how does one how do how do you fight nihilism like what does that look like okay so step one uh, throw these people in the trash. There is there is no need to show love and compassion. You know, okay, there's something you said early on in that. 
mm-hmm. this idea that like, oh, now that the election's over, like uh, liberals and lefties need to approach the right with some air of deference and brotherhood and camaraderie. Otherwise they will, as you say, punish us later at the polls. Mm-hmm. So much of that reeks to me, you know, it, it just, it really reeks to me. It feels sideline white supremacist because when we talk about lefties versus the people that we're discussing, I mean, there is a race and class and power and economic divide between the people that we're talking about and the idea that the people on the left have to approach the right with some care or caution or they'll be sliced down just feels, it feels really white supremacist. It feels really futile, like futile, like not futile, but like this weird sort of like you're barons of the land and we are just participating in, in this entire system at your leisure and leave. And I, I just don't get that. I feel as if, I feel as if that, we should not allow the people who voted for Trump to control the conversation. And I'm not, yeah, I'm going to full stop there. We should not allow them to control the conversation. The reasons why Hillary lost and why Trump won is not about because liberals are shrill and screaming. That's not why. I think a lot of it's like what you said. It's a very much like a fuck you, like, oh, well, you want diversity? You want uh unisex bathrooms uh you want gender neutral bathrooms you want this well then fuck you all we're just we're going to punish all of you people it's really immature and what's more it's supported by our our government like let's not get into electoral college but i'm just saying i you know there was a, a past podcast where i say that you know we shouldn't have urban rule i've changed my mind You've gone back. Well, I've gone back. I've gone back because, and this is going to wrap back to what you're saying. I've gone back because the way that our politics are skewed, it's skewed towards the people in like hay bale country. The idea that in in some place like Wyoming, like there's two senators, and every constituent in there is better represented than I am in New York or you are in California, and. It just, that doesn't change. I've been thinking a lot about impeachment, as you know. And like two-thirds of two-thirds of the Senate would have to convict him of a crime. But you realize like a lot of the states that would block that represent a minority of Americans. I don't know. I, it just, anyway, all this to say is that I, I reject uh, the premise that you uh, put out there is that we need to have compassion and show and approach these people in a certain way. No, we should approach them the way they're all, we've always approached them with facts and we need to change the system a little bit. I'm done with my screed. I mean, well, the other thing too, though, and this is a question because I mean, in some ways this is like being in a relationship, right? If you're in a relationship and you care the most, then in some ways you are at the mercy of the person who cares the least. Right. And I feel like that's what's happening in that argument. It's like these people don't actually care because either they think they'll survive an apocalypse or they're actually so self-destructive that they welcome one. Or their their imaginations are so limited or their lives are so limited, like the like those Brexit voters out in the countryside of England. Mm-hmm. When when people like told the consequences them, oh, don't Yeah, they were like, Well, the pound is gonna lose power, and they're like, Well, I don't have much money anyway, so I don't care like that kind of limited thinking or rather I don't want to say limited because that's like I'm being judgmental that non-global thinking like the the opposite of community thinking 
Well, you know, it was interesting because as I was reading through that piece, I kept, I kept, I kept coming to something that Baldwin says in I'm Not Your Negro, right? And, and actually not just what he says, but kind of the entire exploration, which is the emptiness that is American culture. And I almost felt like these folks personify it. Because in a, in a, in a, in a, in a weird way, they have, because they have retreated, because they're non-participants, because mm-hmm. they, you know, and the reason why they're couched as non-participants is because they feel like the system is, um, is fixed. Mm-hmm. And they, they are not masters of the universe. They've failed in reality. They have failed on, they've failed in reality. And now many of these people, according to the way this was characterized in the article, have retreated to their mom's basement, which by the way, their mom has a basement they can retreat to. So in some sense, there is some privilege there. They've retreated to their mom's basement and they're willing to sort of have this fantasy world where they become more than they can or are capable of doing in the real world. So who cares if the real world burns? Yeah, and so... uh back to my point is that I don't think people who there's no approaching people like this. And it's, it's very much like when Trevor Noah had Tommy Laren on his show and when Bill Maher had Milo Yiannopoulos on their show mm-hmm. and, you know, and Bill Maher and Ann Coulter are like, I don't know if they're fucking, I don't know why he has an association with that woman, but anyway, they're flips of the same coin. Yeah, they are. They're, they're flips of the same coin. Yeah. But this idea of, the idea that Milo Yiannopoulos is champion about like, oh, I'm exercising my free speech, whatever, whatever. First of all, that's not about free speech. You're not going to get arrested for what you say, but you know, you will not avoid the consequences of it. All that aside, these people do not have a coherent point of view and putting them up on TV and continue to approach them and like treat them as if they're around the table with us, I think is really damaging. I don't think it does any good. And I think it only legitimizes really like, incoherent, anti-factual points of view. This is very much the CNN thing where it's like, are Jews people? Poll below. Don't ask that question. Asking the question question invites a discussion and a weighing of options. Are Jews people? I'm referencing a CNN poll. I don't know if that was actually it. It was something like, are Jews people? Or was slavery bad for African-Americans? It was like this sort of thing which allows you to enter into this thought process like, huh, and no, yeah, like there's actually these, yeah, like those questions could be debated. Should, they should never be asked. Sort of like if I put an internet poll on right now that said cannibalism, should it be legal? You're going to get 14% of the people who say yes. Why? Because they weighed it. Because before <laughs> they never would have been, I don't know how they arrived there, but before when it's not a possibility, it's just, of course not. But when I ask in this very, when I ask it on like a late night talk way and I'm like, you know, I'm in a suit and I got my, <laughs> I got my head in my chin in my palm. And I'm like, Hmm, is cannibalism. What do you think that would do for America? Now you're forced to think about it. <laughs> that's not good for discourse. Sorry. Well, well, I mean, I think, and I think that that's been my challenge. This has been my problem with most of those pieces and why I haven't been able to sort of stomach them because I really do think that the, um, I feel like the conversation is faulty, you know, because for sure, you know, because it's like the premise is that it's the premise, the premises upon which many of their assumptions rest are on, are untrue. And that's also my problem with like, even the Milo, is that his name? Milo Milo? I don't care. I don't know. So even that guy, the thing that really bothers me is that his claims aren't factual. 
but yet he's able to make them and call free speech. I'm like, free speech, I I would have I would assume that on some level, if we're gonna have a debate or if we're gonna have questions um with Trump voters or things like that, that we should at least try to keep it within the realm of um provable facts. Well, you know, hello. like not you sound like you sound like a liberal. But I mean, but I don't, <laughs> but you know what I mean? I, and that's so sad. It's so sad to me that you have to say that I'm a liberal because I want something that's provable. Well, because exactly. Because otherwise the, I'm just having a conversation about how I feel about something. And while oh, I love feeling, you know, I love you, feeling. You've hit that nail on the head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I, I, I think I want us to focus on things that can be directly assessed. Either through and experimenting, thought, through observation, what? <laughs> who would have thought that in 2017 that what you're saying is controversial? It is. I know. Yeah, facts and figures and information should enter into a conversation is very controversial today. And that has been a very clever – well, actually, I won't give them clever. They Maybe they stumbled upon this. But I will say, like, ever since the rise of the Tea Party – and Sarah Palin and her ilk, this idea that like, oh, highfalutinous, that's not how you run a country. That's not how you run anything. And somehow we ended up here. Well, because this this is why I feel like you can't even have a conversation about, I feel like we're not under the same sky. <clears throat> right? Because if you're going to assume that all is lost, that's the assumption I'm supposed to make, is that all is lost for these sort of disparate, fun Trump voters who are just basically voting to blow things up and the more Trump Trump like fails at his job or the more foolish he makes the office look mm-hmm. the more it confirms their assumption about the whole thing being ridiculous so and one I mean I, I did think one of the interesting claims in the piece is the idea that his failure to deliver will be a win because that's been, because that's been, you know what, that's so been the no thing. So there's no failing because it's, because to fail is the point, right? Mm-hmm. In some ways, it's, in some ways, this is like a, um, this is an argument against earnestness. It's about, um, it's an argument against compassion. It's an argument against all the things that we like to say that we saw in sort of hidden figures. The idea that it's worth participating it's worth caring it's worth believing in something so returning returning to your initial question then Mm -hmm. why are we in why how do we show people like that compassion people who are so compassionless Mm -hmm. people who care nothing about a community like how do you invite other than their own and by yeah. their own, I mean whatever shifting allegiances that is, because it could be their family until someone's gay, it could be their church yeah. until a woman becomes a priest, like, you know, shifting allegiances. I don't understand how you show anyone like that compassion. And I mean, I know what I'm, what I'm, my thoughts are very incendiary around this. Sure. I feel like we need to make changes to the system to push these people to the fringes where they belong. Again, yeah. And and I do think that this this Trump thing is going to set us back a generation on that. Sure. I think Obama really accelerated us pushing them forward, and now this is their pushback. Yeah. I do believe the reaction is going to shove them all the way back, but it's going to take us more time. And that that's a shame. So, I, I mean, I think that you you the way that we approach them is the way that we've always approached them, you know, with science and with compassion and with inclusion and with diversity. 
Well, it, it reminded me of that scene in, um, I'm going to talk about a scene audience and hopefully you go and see it in the scene. And I'm not your Negro when, um, when, James Baldwin is like rightfully enraged when someone said, uh, well, he's on the couch, I guess, on I think the Dick Cabot show. Which, by and, the way, I'm going to interrupt you. Yeah. God, what it must be like. Could to we have those talk, shows? A late night talk show <laughs> like that where people come and talk about issues as opposed to like, so Nicole, what's it like to wear a wig on the movie? Oh, it's so hard, Jimmy Kimmel, whatever. <laughs> I know. here with that. I can't believe that they used to have full sentences about things that were beyond a marketing. I mean, it was weird. So like, you know, so when the, when, when I think when it was a professor came on and ascend, essentially claim, I guess, makes a claim to James Baldwin that, you know, you're always seeing race about everything. Why can't you presume that you and I have more, you and I have more in common than you and some other person down the street. And then, and, 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 you know, and James pushes back on this idea that, I need to believe in, I need to have faith in your, in these ideas that have never been born out in action. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I I feel like that's how we have to talk about this. I think we have to come, we have to come with facts and action, action items, things that are actually going to make that we can observe in the world and say, obviously this isn't real. These are your ideas. But when thing, when push comes, I mean, how can we evaluate a president if, if losing or failing is a part of the win? How do, I, I don't even understand how that. I don't even understand what that means. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, we're living in like some weird. Like, weird how did that world. happen? <laughs> so I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's it's been interesting to watch that. I think we're still struggling. I think people are still struggling with and coming to terms with how to engage, quote unquote, the other side. And well, I, I don't know. I don't know if that. I don't know if we've arrived at one yet at a, at a good place yet. I think the I think the the election the inauguration are still close at hand. I think in the coming days, I, I do think like liberals are going to have a more unified, coherent kind of policy about how to deal with this sort of stuff because now it's do or die because their cha- policies are being changed. Shit is going down, but we'll definitely see. Well, government structures are being changed. So that's mm-hmm. the other thing, too. It's like mm-hmm. you're saying how the only way that we're going to fight, you can fight something like this is to make sure that elements of the government shifts. Mm-hmm. I think now that people are seeing that rules are being changed to fit whomever is in power. Yeah. I think that, I mean, hopefully that becomes a bit of a wake up call to many. A bit. I think that <laughs> is the, that is the wake up call. <laughs> it needs to be the wake up call. <laughs> Anyhow, All right. So, honey, skip off, skip those articles. I'd say skip yeah, those articles you find, unless you find one that's really particularly compelling. But yeah. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not buying it. But again, that's then again, I'm not a Christian. Remember, that's what you're supposed to do, right? Christians turn the other cheek. Honey, let it happen. Don't get me started on Christians. <laughs> not, near, not near the end of the segment. Don't get me going. I just tossed that in there. Just don't you stop trying to throw a match in a fireworks factory now. <laughs> any damn way we are moving on to media recommendations which is something that you see heard or experience which you think someone else or everybody else should see hear or experience um mine is crazy so why don't you go first <laughs> oh, i don't know <laughs> that's a weird thing <laughs> i know mine is crazy you should go first for sure well since this was sort of a movie issue um, yeah, I, I guess it was. Yeah, it was a little bit of a movie issue. I'm going to recommend um, a, a recent episode of Code Switch, NPR's Code Switch. They actually talked about um, <laughs> the episode. I think is called Oscar So Black, 
um, at least in the documentary. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. And it basically um, talked to um, a couple of the folks. We talked to the, the, the producer of um, I'm Not Your Negro. There was also an interview with Ava DuVernay about 13th, which I thought was really interesting. She also mm-hmm. posits a strategy to deal with Trump in her, um, in her piece. And then they, they kind of, um, they, they kind of went, go back and forth about who they think is going to win the best um, documentary. Uh, so it's a really, really quick segment. I'd say maybe 20 minutes. Um, really good. Really engaging. Really interesting to think about um, sort of the role of documentaries and why I was, I said to my sister, I'm like, why aren't documentaries allowed to be best pictures? Cause I actually think the documentaries I saw this year were some of the better. Movies. Interesting. I, I, that's a question that gets asked often, actually there's a, there is a, there is a straight answer for it. I think the, the quick yeah, answer v is said, that there is a category no for actor. it already. Yeah. That's the other thing is that there's yeah. no actors. It's not tr- a true movie as it were. Yeah, exactly. I think that's I think that's actually more the reason rather than it, there's a category for it because they have a category for animation, but an animated film can be a best picture. Do you know what I mean? But I think it's because oh, documentaries don't pay anybody. <laughs> I imagine if documentaries were winning best picture, people would be like, pissed. The industry is there to support Oscars are there to support itself after all. And entertainment. Um, and yeah, it's a business. <laughs> people, people aren't being entertained by documentaries, they're being instructed or educated. Yeah, but I mean, so. if I had to name the top five movies I saw this year, I would, um, aside from Moonlight and maybe Hidden Figures, I still think documentaries would probably round out the t- round out the five. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, good, 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 good piece. I highly recommend it. It's really great. Cool. Um, I have a really weird recommendation. Please mm-hmm. hear me out. Oh no! Please hear me out. Are you so, subbing in for Jason with this recommendation? No, this is. <laughs> Jason will be listening to this and cringing. So I recently, I, I was stumbled into an Amazon hole and I came across the works of Dr. Chuck Tingle, who is a author of gay niche erotica. Oh no. And all his stuff is self-published. And what fascinates me about Chuck Tingle is that it's not really clear that it's a real person. Like he says that he's like a Kung Fu master who lives in Wisconsin or Madison, <laughs> somewhere like that. Um, all of his books. <laughs> I love what? It's a nice descriptor. <laughs> no, it, honey, it gets it's about to get weird. So, uh, all of his books uh, or or short stories, you can get them all on Amazon. If you have a Kindle, I think they're free. But uh, all of his books, um, okay, they it's about erotica, right? So, mm-hmm. and usually it's about like unicorns, Bigfoot, um, uh, raptors triceratops pounding things in the butt usually handsome men uh yep this is a real thing this is happening so i just and also on on top of that like he sticks to like also living objects can sometimes pound people in a butt like there's one of his books is called glazed by the gay living donuts um some other topics are space raptor butt invasion um which hole did you fall down in Amazon? <laughs> <laughs> pounded, pounded by the gay unicorn football squad. Um, oh my God. Anally yours, the unicorn sailor. But some of the titles, I, I, I can't speak for the works themselves. I just read the titles. <laughs> some other titles, like he slips into, like he really, he goes after current events and turns to gay erotica. My, one of my favorite titles is Leonardo DiCaprio finally wins his award and it pounds him in the butt. Uh, <laughs> It, How much it, it people goes on. paying for those? I, it's 
free. There's a Pokebutt Go pounded by the mall, you know, like Pokemon. Are you really recommending this? I'm recommending that you look into this. I'm not recommending that you read it because, I mean, what fascinates me about Chuck Tingle is the anonymity of this. This is so gonzo. It's so out there. And yet, in this day and age, right, we're not certain if he's a real person or not. In 2017, that anonymity fascinates me. I feel like it's not possible. Like, I just feel like it's not possible for people to have any kind of like fame, even if it's cult fame, and not have everything exposed about you. The fact (laughs) that he remains unexposed after writing something called um, uh, Donald Trump pounded in the butt by the handsome Russian T-Rex who also peed on his butt and then blackmailed him with the videos of his butt getting peed on. The (laughs) fact that we don't know who Chuck Tingle is fascinates me. So uh, my recommendation is, you know, hell, if you're into... (laughs) gay, extremely niche erotica, go nuts. <laughs> but just look into Chuck Tingle. I think it's fascinating. He's got a website. I follow him on Twitter. Um, it's, it's What does he of, tweet? Um, just insane things, like insane things like, help, help, I think I'm turning to a bowl of spaghetti, or <laughs> I woke up. Uh, I, I'm, sometimes I wonder if I'm a living machine. Like he's, It's insane. It's insane, insane stuff. Are you so, sure he's not part of this group? Which group? That voted for Trump. <laughs> well, I mean, he's written he's written more than one book about Trump. Where was the other one? Slammed in the butt by Donald Trump's attempt to avoid accusations of plagiarism by removing all facts or concrete plans from his Republican National Convention speech. So, I mean, he's really. Uh, oh, uh, I'll just I'll leave you my last, my favorite one. What's your Pound, favorite one? Pounded by the pound, turned gay by the socioeconomic socioeconomic implications of Brett Britain leaving the European Union. <laughs> I can't, you know what it is though? Okay, as great as the titles are, I just need to know if the books are as involved as that. <laughs> are these you know explainer what? books? <laughs> you know what? How much time do we have? Can I can I read? I'm gonna just read the summary from Amazon about one of these, okay? Okay. Um how about this one? All right, so it's oppressed in the butt by my inclusive holiday coffee cups. So the story goes like this. Former preacher turned viral video sensation, Jabawa Fogstein, lives for the holidays, the sights, the smells. In fact, he's so excited to try out his favorite coffee, Starbucks Christmas Blend, that he camps out overnight for the introduction of their brand new red holiday cups. But when Jabawa receives his coffee, he finds himself in a waking nightmare, discovering that the cups have been redesigned in a sleek, plain red without a trace of Christmas imagery. The shock causes Jabbo to suffer a major heart attack and lands him in the hospital, but he's about to receive some visitors that will both open his heart and his butt. Soon enough, <laughs> Jabbo finds himself at the center of a hardcore gangbang with these handsome gay cups and learns a little something about holiday spirit. Dr. Chuck Tingle, check it out, everybody. Thank Bless. you for indulging me. And uh, that's another one in the bag. Uh, I, wanted to, I, wanted, I wanted to close by saying this. Um, Yes, everyone, Mrs. Jason. I'll have you know, Jason doesn't even listen to the podcast anymore. I talked to him today, and he was like, oh, yeah, I haven't listened to it. Yeah, you guys are the true fans. Jason, you try not to be a poser, man. What happened? <laughs> That's terrible. All right, so uh, I guess I will talk to you later. Have a great three-day weekend. Ah, yes. Bye. All right, everybody. Bye. <laughs> Bye. 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 Ha ha ha! Stupid. Not even worse, Christopher.